0: Well, each day we're reading the events and the words of Jesus that were spoken or accomplished on that day during the first Holy Week. Now, yesterday we tried to get through Tuesday, but Tuesday was a big day. And Wednesday is kind of a repeat day. In fact, we only have a few verses that we can use that would basically summarize that he did the same things again. So I wound up having to split Tuesday and Wednesday, but these words were actually spoken on Tuesday. Now the first is the Sadducees coming and challenging Jesus about the resurrection. Let me read to you the passage from Luke that is recorded in Matthew, it's recorded in Mark, and it's recorded in Luke. We don't find in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'll read you John's because it's a little longer. There came to him some of the Sadducees. Now remember the Sadducees were not so much a religious denomination as the nobility. Okay? They, they were the leftovers of the Hasmonean ruling dynasty of the Jews during that 400 intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And when the Romans conquered Israel, they needed someone to be in charge underneath them. And so they took some of these former nobility and they appointed them as the high priest and the Sanhedrin court. They, they put these people in positions of religious power because religion controlled the Jews in that day. So here come some of these, what I would call extremely liberal, very unspiritual Sadducees. There came to him some Sadducees. and Every year during Holy Week, I teach you that the Sadducees are Sadducee. I don't have very many jokes. Those who deny that there is a resurrection. So they don't believe there's a resurrection. They also don't believe in angels. And they ask him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, Jesus, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children, and the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left and no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven Had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, I want you to notice something here about Jesus. Jesus corrects doctrine. He said, Listen, I I know that you don't believe in the resurrection, but you know what? The resurrection is true. So they came to Jesus with this philosophical argument to somehow prove there is no resurrection. But Jesus said, um, considered worthy and were made worthy by the blood, and to att- the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or are given in marriage. So, all right, in heaven, there's no marriage. Or during The thousand-year reign. There's no marriage of those with resurrected bodies. For they cannot die anymore, because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Now there's a beautiful truth. There's a beautiful truth. We are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised... And he said, now here comes comes the correction. Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all lived to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared Ask him any questions. Silenced by logic. Wow. How do they argue with that? And they are silenced by the logic of Jesus. Now the Pharisees now come with their questions. And we'll look at it from Mark this time because Mark puts it in the longest form. Mark 12, beginning with verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, okay, seeing that he answered them well. All right, so are you well spoken? Ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, these look obscure. As you read through the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments are the ones that are really highlighted. But I've just read you recently where where Moses actually speaks this. So sometimes the greatest truths are gemstones that are hidden. Let me say that again. Sometimes the greatest truths are gemstones that are hidden. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and the love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom. Ah. So revelation of truth Shows closeness. Now, Jesus continues. And this time we'll read Matthew because it's the longest passion. This is, this is Jesus correcting some more theology. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So, all right, this is, this is Jesus' turn. Jesus asked them a question. He said, what do you think about the Christ? <laughs> Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said, how then, that how is it then that David in the spirit, all right, so he's speaking by the spirit. Okay, so this is in the spirit. This is prophetic. Calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is it he is his son? Now, back up to this in the spirit. David just wasn't talking one day. See, David was also a prophet. <laughs> he wasn't just a king, he was also a prophet. So, it, as a prophet, he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. You know, sometimes we look back at those passages in the Old Testament and we have to remember these words are also inspired by the Holy Spirit. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone ask him any more questions. All right, now. This is a total silence of questions. A total silence of the questions for the rest of Holy Week. They just attacked. Now, there's there's several things I want you to understand here. First of all, spiritual logic will silence questions. But when the questions are silenced, that's also when the hatred really, really begins to ramp up. Now, we come against the seven woes spoken against the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in the temple of Jerusalem. Again, we'll do Matthew because it's the longest. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now, the reason for that, if this is a synagogue and they're sitting in kind of stone bleachers like this around it, and this is what we would call the altar area up here, there would be a chair. And that's where the person would sit down to read the law of Moses. So that's what they mean about sit in the seat of Moses. So do and observe whatever they tell you. In other words, they sit there and they read the law of Moses. So whatever they read to you from the law, do it. But not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Now there's a wow. Now as much as possible, and please as pastors, as connect group leaders, as parents, we should practice what we preach. Now, saying that, you know what? There's always people out there that are professional critics and professional, what we used to call in the 80s fiscalizers. They're, they're, they're professional fault finders, they're professional fruit seekers and fruit pickers, and you know, ah, you, you you can you can never live a holier life that's suitable for them. All right. But what you can do is in sincerity. Do your very best to live whatever you teach. Parents, you live what you teach your kids. Okay, you live what you teach your kids. You, you, you're teaching them the Bible so they should see you live it in front of them. This is why sometimes, please forgive me, this is why sometimes church kids grow up so bad because they go to church and they see their parents talking all spiritual and they see their parents talking about the Bible, but when they go home, the parents live more like demons than saints. Please forgive me. Now, this is why it's very hard. And this is why you look around at some some kids that have grown up in church. And you know what? Now, some of them have the most tremendous parents in the world. And these young people just made their own decisions. But other times, parents, connect group leaders, pastors, leaders of every type, when we teach something, we should live it. Fair enough. He said they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move a f- move move them with their finger. He said, now listen, you, you make things really difficult for the people. Now, you have to understand what they're talking about. That is their interpretations. He said, you know, you tie it all up in a bow. You You lay out all this truth. You tie it all up for them. But you've made it so hard to live. And you won't do anything to live it yourself. Now, now, this isn't talking about Christian service. This is talking about lifestyle teaching. Now, part of not doing this is to teach people how. Okay? Not just what. And you know, you, you see a lot of people who, who run around and tell everybody live holy, live holy, holy. Those people are wicked, these people are righteous, live like live a righteous life. You know, all right, you tied it up, you made a nice package. But you never told people how. Okay, You, you make it hard to bear because you don't teach people how. Now, hard to bear, hard to pick up and carry. Now, I learned a long time ago that, you know, you can pick up some really heavy things if you know how to carry them. Ah, if you know how to pick that up. Have you ever seen somebody who's never carried a sack of rice before, try to pick up and carry a sack of rice. It's a, a burden too heavy for them to carry. Even you get a, a weightlifter from the gym. It, it's, it's so awkward and weird. But they see this skinny little guy over here walking around with a sack of rice on his head. And you watch him and you see how they load it on the head and how they walk with it. They've learned how to carry that burden. Now, there are commandments of God that we have to live. And in some ways, you could look at them as difficult or heavy. But if somebody's taught you how to pick them up and how to carry them, then they're not too heavy of a burden. And notice, these people have no experience. It's like somebody teaching people how to fast that have never fasted. It's like somebody teaching people how to live holy who lives like a demon. You know, if you've never done it, you can't teach people how. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. He said, you know, you tie up these heavy burdens, you make this nice little package, and you lay them on people's shoulders. But you're not willing to move a finger. He said, you know, you need some experience, because then you can teach people how. He said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Now, you know what? When when your life is nothing but Facebook, forgive me, when you are a Facebook Christian. When everything you do is for Facebook. All right, you're going to feed 15 people today. So you're going to show the 15 meals that you cook and you're going to show yourself passing out those 15 meals. Facebook Christianity. That, that's trying to be a woke Christian. That's trying, that, that, thats what do they call it? Virtue signaling. Okay, that's virtue signaling Christianity. That's not how we live. So Jesus said, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They they just love all the honor. And he said, and but you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. He said, They, they love to be called rabbi. He said, but you have one teacher. Jesus said, I'm, I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher, and you're all brothers. He said, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father in heaven. Now, there's some people who want to run around and take this and go, okay, call no man father on earth, for you have one father in heaven. And they want to take that super literally. And they say, okay, there's no such, you, you can't call your earthly father, father. That's ridiculous. Of course, he's your dad. And they say, there's no such thing as spiritual fathers, but then they forget all of Paul's writings. I mean, please, come on. Jesus is dealing with something very different here. So he he talks about rabbi, teacher. He talks about father. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. He says, so listen, let's let's understand that the source of everything in our life, and here's, here's a very simple way to put complicated theology. Source. Jesus is the teacher. Nobody can teach anything that doesn't flow from him. The father is the source. Jesus said, no man. He said, I don't teach anything of my own, but whatever, I hear my father. Instructor. He said, you know, Jesus is the chief instructor. Jesus receives from the father, passes it on to us. So this is the rabbi. This is the father. This is the instructors. So so just understand, Jesus is trying to teach us here about source. He said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Ah, so leadership, the path to leadership is service. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. You stand up and start pushing yourself. This is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to put everybody down and use everybody else as a as a stepping stone to step on to get to where I want to be. Well, you know, you will. That's a promise, okay? That is a promise. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is also a promise. Now, here's my question. Do you want to be humbled, or do you want to be Exalted. Okay, if you want to be exalted, then you choose to humble yourself. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Now, what's the kingdom of heaven? It's the knowledge of God. You neither, you, you, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. He said, you stop people. He said, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you look at Jesus, He is there. He is there. Now, you know, I can put a, a lot more theologically, and I can get this really complicated, or I can just put it real simple. Jesus is there. He said, You won't let people come to me. <laughs> you won't let people enter the kingdom. He said, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. In other words, you go pirate somebody. And he said, you work really hard at pirating somebody and filling them with your, your, your criticism and your yuck. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. And there's one of those wows in the Bible. Now remember, this is all Tuesday in the temple. <laughs> He's, this is an incredible revival movement in the temple courts. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he's bound by the oath. (laughs) We'll come to this all at once. He said, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple? The gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if one swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. Verse 19, you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? For whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and everything who dwells on in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. So woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Now just park there for a minute. Now notice. Rational escapes. Now, when you know that something is wrong and somebody gives you a rational escape and it's all right to do that because this is your rational escape, you don't ever want to pay attention to people who give you rational escapes. I had a brother, and you know I always change my illustrations. I had a brother who came to me and he said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And so we sat down and talked and we met outside so nobody would know we were talking. And he said, Pastor, I really messed up. I said, what'd you do? He said, I've been committing adultery. I said, why? I said, you have a wonderful wife. You have wonderful children. You've got, everything in your life is wonderful. What, how, how? He said, well, pastor, I met this woman from this other church. And she kept telling me that God had been speaking to her. And i told her that i was already married and she said but god had spoken to her that that i i was the one and i told her but i'm already married i have marriage vows and so she took me to meet her pastor and her pastor looked at me and said those vows were made before knowledge before you knew god and therefore those vows are invalid and the vows that you make now as a christian are the ones that are valid and so he did this little ceremony in our office and i started having an affair with this woman because this pastor told me that I was now married. I said, do you have another wedding certificate? He said, no, we just had to understand because the the government authorities don't understand the principles of God. And he said, pastor, I don't know what to do. I said, how long has this been going on? He said, about a month. I said, and I took him to this passage and I said, number one, when people start giving you rational, logical escapes from simple biblical obedience, you need to stop paying attention to them. Okay? I mean, if you're looking at that pastor and you're telling that pastor, this is wrong, and he says, no, it's right. You know, even if he's right and you're wrong, the Paul would be clear that if someone believes something is wrong and they're condemned in their heart, they shouldn't do it. Ah, So now he's he's starting to come back he said what do i do now i said we need to sit down with your wife and we need to get this right i said you've been under deception i said that that this was religious deception that got a hold of you and you just need to get away from that so beware and and this this thing of of rational escapes from from simple biblical truth is just fascinating to me he said woe to you verse 23 Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He said, you tithe in mint and dill and cumin. These are tiny herbs. He said, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said, these you ought to have done. These, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, you ought to have done without neglecting these. So Jesus taught tithing, forgive me, Jesus taught tithing. Now, you know, straight up, they lived under an occupation army, they paid taxes to the Roman government, and they still brought the tithe to the Lord. The tithe had nothing to do with the oppressive Roman taxes in their life. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> he said, you know, you, you, you go after the little tiny things. Tithing, forgive me, is a small thing. Okay? It's, it's a small thing. It's just part of our normal life. It's like breathing. He said, you, you strain out the gnats. I said, and you swallow the camel. The camels would be justice, mercy, and faithfulness those are things you really have to learn and work at learning to do tithing is a simple decision faith justice mercy and faithfulness those are the hard ones to learn woe to you verse 25 scribes and pharisees hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence wow He said, you know, you you make everything look good on the inside or on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of stuff. Now, full of greed and full of self-indulgence. Now, brothers and sisters, greed is as idolatry, the Bible says. You've got to keep greed and self-indulgence out of your life. God wants you to have a good life. No question about it. Jesus wore the garment. We'll see in Holy Week. He wore a garment that was the garment, the undergarment of a very wealthy man. His undergarment was woven of one thread all the way from top to finish. It wasn't pieced together like a more inexpensive garment. Jesus received all those gifts uh, of the, the Magi at, at his time of his birth. I mean, please, God wants us to have a good life. I mean, Paul said, I know how to abound as well as be abased. But it doesn't matter how much you have. You know, you can be a poor person and be greedy and self-indulgent. In fact, to be honest, I've met more people without who were greedy and self-indulgent than people who were prosperous and greedy and self-indulgent. I don't know why people think that just because somebody has something, they're greedy and self-indulgent. I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. Was Abraham greedy and self-indulgent? Was King David greedy and self-indulgent? Was Moses greedy and self-indulgent? Was Aaron greedy and self-indulgent? All of these were wealthy men. Was Isaac greedy and self-indulgent? Was Paul greedy and self-indulgent when he said, I know how to abound? See, what I have found is that people who don't have a lot think a lot about money and things. If you have things, you don't think about them much. Now, please, am I greedy and self-indulgent because I probably have 20 Bibles? I like Bibles, okay? This is one of my favorite ones. This is a, an R.L. Allen New Living Translation. It's really cool because you can kind of fold it up like this and the paper is nice and thin and it, it has big enough print for my eyeballs to read it, usually even without glasses. I got about 20 Bibles. Am I greedy and self-indulgent? I don't think so. Well, you know, Pastor Summer, you should take all those Bibles and keep one and give all the rest away to the poor. What did you say, Judas? <laughs> you got my point. See, greed and self-indulgence is not a character of the wealthy. It's a character of the human heart. And honestly, I found found more people who have little that are greedy. I found more people that have little that are self-indulgent. Now, I've met rich people that are greedy and self-indulgent too. But this has has nothing to do with with status or, or this has nothing to do with wealth in life. This has to do with the heart. A man who will steal at his office because he's greedy. Well, pastor, he doesn't have much, but he's greedy because he stole. Ah. Verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. All right, now here here is salvation by faith. This is what Jesus is about to die for. Because when he forgives us, he cleans the inside. He changes our hearts. This is New Testament salvation by faith. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead man's bones and all kinds of of uncleanness. And notice, again, this is religion. This is relationship. Religion, it's all about how do you look outside. You know, this could be called... um, Virtue signaling. This could be called woke Christianity. You know, you you, you, this could be called Facebook, Facebook spirituality. You know, they they look, they posture themselves as they're so right and they're so holy, and we're so perfect. Eh, But inside. You see, everything about salvation by faith is about our insides. God fixes us on the inside. He gives us a new heart. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived... If they had lived in our days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. He said, thus you bear witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Wow. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men. Wow. Notice, I send you. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Jesus is saying. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Therefore, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, just stop there for a minute, brothers and sisters. And I want you to notice something beautiful that we often miss. Jesus said, I send you. Huh. See, we we always look at that as if somehow the father was doing this and Jesus is disconnected. But Jesus said, I send you prophets. He said, I send you prophets. I send you wise men and I send you scribes. And he said, you know, you destroy them. Every one of these words is destroy. That's why right when people tell me that God called them to destroy, I look at them and go, "Yeah, no. Matthew 23, beginning with verse 37. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have gathered you as children together, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. There's a lot in there, but let me just bring this part out. You were not willing. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, and notice, this is love. This, isn't, this is not threats. He said, I, I wanted to gather you together like a, a, a chicken gathers her, her hen, gathers her little chicklets under her wings. He said, that's love. He said, but you wouldn't have it. You see, you're going to have to understand that God's love is what reaches out to us. Not his anger, not his wrath. God's love. This is an age of grace that we're living in right now. Oh, it just, there's just so much to teach here. Let's go on. Well, let's take a break for just a minute. Let's have a little bit more worship.
1: Those who know your name Those who know
0: let's continue to pick up. This is Tuesday. Okay. This is Tuesday in the first Holy Week. Now, Wednesday, we really don't have any details on it. It's just basically he continued to teach and preach in the temple courts. So more of the same, but Tuesday was the big confrontation teaching day. And we can understand that because Monday he cleansed the temple. Everybody would have been shaken up Tuesday. We see all these people coming out to ask questions, all these people coming to challenge, so all of this makes perfect sense. All right, we're gonna pick up, we're still on Tuesday, even though this is Wednesday, because Wednesday we don't have any more descriptions. We pick up now in inside what is called the women's court, where people would give their offerings. Now, to understand where this took place, if this is the temple courts and this is the temple area proper, This is actually the temple, the holy and the holy of holies. This is the women's court. Right off over here on this side was an area where people brought their offerings. This would be the gate beautiful right here. This is the area where people would come in to bring their offerings. So Jesus was watching the giving. And I'll read you Mark because it's the longest passage. Mark 12, beginning with verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury. So he he found a place to sit right out here, maybe a chair or something, some benches that were set up there in the women's court, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched. (laughs) Now, before you think Jesus is being nosy, remember he's the high priest. He receives the offerings. He receives the tithe. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched. Jesus watches us as we bring our, our offerings to the altars to this day. Jesus watches us bring that offering now you know again this is one of those things i'm weird about i don't like the online giving i'd say you know what okay we're locked down set it aside in an envelope so you don't mix it up with your own money because this is god's money and then next time we have service you bring it to the lord he watches he watches the bringing of the offering the people and he's the same yesterday today and forever remember He watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor woman, widow, came and put in two small copper coins. These are what we call widow mites to this day. Okay, It's it's a small copper coin. And they're very, very light. In two copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said... Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those contributing to the offering box. For they, now look at Jesus there. He says, for they all contributed out of their abundance. Okay, so they, they gave out of wealth. She gave out of poverty. She, out of her poverty, she has put in everything she had to live on now now brothers and sisters this this is generosity this is the generosity paul talks about with the macedonian church that he writes about in corinthians all right they out of their out of their poverty and their deep affliction welled up in rich generosity you see folks it is amazing to me how, when you're a young person and you're just learning, you give so generously to the Lord and you have nothing, but you, you give everything you have. But later, when you have three cars and a big house, in proportion now you give nothing. Before you gave everything, but now you give almost nothing in comparison to what you have. Now, now straight up talk. Because you have given generously. With the same measure you give, Jesus says, it's measured back to you. The tithe opens the windows of heaven, but what determines the flow that comes back is not the amount you give, it's the generosity that you give it with. Now, some of you have prospered, because when you had little, you gave very generously. And you don't understand, if you don't continue that, if now that you have abundance, you you give out of your wealth a, a token to God compared to what you could do. Forgive me. you're going to see the flow slow down and even stop from the windows of heaven. God doesn't care that you gave a million pesos. I mean straight up talk. God doesn't give us God doesn't give a rip that you gave 10 million. a hundred million. God is not impressed by the zeros. The only thing that gets God's attention is generosity. Now back up and look at that again. He called his disciples to him. The amount does not impress God. Generosity gets God's attention. And you've just got to learn to live with that every day of your life. You know, I I can remember when giving a 10 peso offering was everything I had. Now for me to empty my bank accounts and give something generous, that's a hard one. That's a lot of money. But you know what? I'm a very blessed man today. Because Sister Bev and I have always lived our life on generosity, not on amount. (laughs) My, My daughter sat me down. I think it was last year. I said, "Dad, now you've got to start saving some money because you know you, you don't have you don't keep any money in the bank. You give everything away." <laughs> I said, "But Shasha, that's why we're blessed." I said, "So yeah, I know we need to save some money so that if something happens to me, Mama's taken care of." But I said, "Sha, the reason we're blessed today is that Mama and I have always given everything away." Now, brothers and sisters, at some point you've got to get this revelation. The amount is irrelevant to God. The generosity of your heart is what God's looking at. All right, let's go on. And as he came out of the temple, all right, so he's been watching the offerings. As he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? I mean, they're looking at these Some of these stones that that they're talking about, folks, are, you know, 30 feet long, you know, 6 feet tall, and, and, you know, 3 feet wide, and they're beautiful carved stones. He said, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John asked him, privately. All right. Now notice Jesus now leaves the temple. All right. So if this is the temple, temple courts, temple proper here. So he would leave coming out of the beautiful gate, probably coming out of the Eastern gate here, because those are the gates that are straight lined up. And then he'd come across the Kidron Valley over here to the Mount of Olives. As he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so directly opposite the temple. It's a beautiful sight. I've, I've, it's right there where I would have stood at least once in my life because I've stood in so many places over there. <laughs> Just trying to picture this. And he sat down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter and James and John asking privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will the sign be? of all these things about to be accomplished. Now, Jesus begins to teach all about prophecy. Now, you know, I've run out of time today and I still haven't finished Tuesday. Wednesday is just a uh, more teaching day, okay? But I want you to read through these passages. Matthew 24, verses four to 14, Matthew 13, five to 13, Luke 21, verses 8 8 to 19. Jesus teaches about the Jews and the Great Tribulation, and he, he writes this so that the Jews will know how to live in the Great Tribulation. And he talks about the abomination of desolation that will be set up in the temple courts during the Great Tribulation period. And he talks about the signs of the times and all of these things. A lot of this is just... It's not about the age of grace that we live in written for Christians, but it's more written for the Jews to know how to live during the great tribulation and the coming of the son of man. That would be the second coming, not the rapture. This would be the second coming when he comes back for the battle of Armageddon. Now, for the sake of time today, we're not going to go through all of these passages, but he teaches prophecy. He teaches about watchfulness. He tells them parables about all of that. And we pretty much finish out with that on the Wednesday, the judgment of the Son of God. All of this is prophetic teaching. And then he goes out and lodges on the Mount of Olives. Okay, he goes out and spends the night uh, up there in Bethany. And while this is going on, when he's spending Tuesday night, spending Tuesday night, that is when everybody starts planning to arrest and kill Jesus. All right, that's when all of that begins to take place. And that is where the anointing takes place in Bethany. Jesus is anointed with the oil that night on Bethany. That's all on Tuesday night. And that is also the night. And this is important. This is Tuesday night at Bethany. Jesus has corrected Judas we'll get all into that in our school of the cross that's why I want to move quickly through this Tuesday night after Judas is corrected that is when Satan enters into Judas and Satan and Judas becomes Satan possessed on Tuesday night of Holy Week okay so that's, that's important now Wednesday I told you the only thing we have is he was teaching daily in the temple courts, all right? And uh, they were seeking to destroy him, but they could not find anything they could do. So that's all we know that happened on Wednesday. Now, tomorrow we're going to pick up and finally get into Thursday. Now, I skipped over all the prophecy teaching, but to keep you from being confused in that prophecy teaching, just remember Jesus is primarily teaching them about the second coming, not the rapture. And he's teaching them about how to live as a Jew in Jerusalem during the Great Tribulation. All right, we'll see you tonight as we continue School of the Cross and again tomorrow morning as we pick up Thursday of Holy Week.